electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the hottest trade in the market right now and whether it can keep surging. We debate it with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour, Kerry Firestone, the CEO of RAS Asset Management, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova. Good to see everybody. Let's go to the wall. Stocks pretty much trying to get to the highs of the day. There's the Dow up 71. S&P is good for 12. NASDAQ's good for 32, and there is energy because it is once again one of the best sectors today, up one and a half percent. That is the best trade of the year. Joe Terranova, your wheelhouse. I don't care that oil only accounts for three percent of the S&P, so don't tell me that. I care that oil's up 40 percent year to date, and it's having the best year ever. And I want to know from you how we can make some money given we've already seen those kinds of gains. Okay, well, you could expect that the price of oil is going to continue to move higher. In October of 2018, it reached $76.90. It's going there this time this year. Uh, The overall allocation towards energy right now is either at an equal weight or you can make the argument that it's underweight. A lot of that is predicated upon ESG as an obstacle. That's right. But the fundamental story, Scott. A lot of the haters. Fundamental a lot story, of haters, Joe. You know lot that. A lot of haters. Absolutely. The uh, fundamental story from OPEC in the last two days was an overwhelmingly bullish one. They sounded like the Fed where they said they're not even thinking about thinking about normalizing production after they modestly increased from July Uh, of 21 until April of 2022. So, Scott, if you're a refiner, you have to buy oil right now because you have no guidance on what production is ultimately going to be. And then lastly, look at the rig count. The 10-year average for the rig count sits at 1163. We're right now at 457. That's above 50% below where it needs to be to reach its 10-year average. But yet the 10-year average for the price of oil is higher. So, With all of that, where do you want to be? You want to be in the names that have been an acquirer. Very quietly over the last 18 months, there's been a series of deals. PXD bought Parsley for $3.5 billion. I want to own PXD. That's a low beta E&P name. Personally, I own Suncor. I own LNG. But you could look at Chevron, which paid $13.5 billion for Noble Energy. You look at ExxonMobil, where the sentiment, again, is very negative. These are the places that you want to be. Devon Energy, Hess, EQT, ConocoPhillips. I could go on, but understand, this is an underweight sector, and the performance doesn't dictate being underweight. Be there. It's going to continue to move higher. Okay. Be there. Be square. That's what, that, that's what you're saying. Um, all right. Steve Weiss. All right, we're back to playing that kid's game. Steve Weiss listened to everything that you just said and said, whatever. 
Because if I would have bought, I know exactly what he's thinking. If I would have bought energy five years ago, I would still be sitting in a bowl of tears with my tissues because these trades don't work. They've never worked. And then he would go to the numbers and he would say, Scott, in 2018, energy was the worst sector that year. It was down 20 and a half percent. Scott, in 2019, energy was up seven and a half percent. It was the worst sector that year. And in 2020, he would say, Scott, energy was down 37 percent. It was the worst sector that year. That's why I don't own these stocks. Right, Steve? That's right, Scott. And I understand you wanting to be me and tap into my to my thought process. Only for that moment. Correct. (laughs) Only for that moment. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But here's what I'd say. At any moment in time, energy is a good trade. It's been a good extended trade here. And yes, if you take a look at a chart, five years, 10 years, whatever, you still have 50% more in the stock just to get to the old highs. But I've seen a graveyard full of these noted energy players. We're even having strategists come on who've never followed energy, have no energy expertise, and hopping on board because they see it continuing to increase in price over the next five years. Yeah, they want to make some money. Happen. Yes, yes. They want to make some money. Right. Well, it's Why are a you against trade. making money? I think it's. I'm not against making money. I just choose to make it elsewhere. I think that that energy still works because momentum's still there. However. As an investor, you have to be disciplined, and you can't go to the latest hot trade every day. Otherwise, you drive yourself crazy, and you'll violate your discipline. So Joe's been dead right on this. He's made a lot of money, will continue to make money. I'm just finding better values elsewhere in the market that are more sustainable with partners I can be with for a long, long time rather than the Saudis and the others. As I said, look, Chevron, Exxon, sure, they can go higher. The fact that you've got a couple of activists had a successful campaign doesn't mean anything. They're still fossil fuel companies. And one of the well, biggest users of energy, which are autos, anything. are going to EVs. I mean, it doesn't mean I anything. It I mean, anything. No. The, the fact, Farmer Jim, Carrie, I'll get to you in just a minute. I know you're a hater on energy, so I'm going to come to you last. Forgive me for that. <laughs> but Farmer Jim, right, uses a lot of energy in that tractor every weekend, probably three times a week, knowing how much he likes to ride that tractor. Now, I do. I do. Why, why isn't this the place to be if you're into, dare I say, ESG, that what happened with Exxon opens the door and it was a game changer, a watershed moment. Pick your cliche because they all work because it very well may be that farmer, Jim, that a new class of investors could look at what happened at Exxon and say, now that's for me because I want to be part of the transformation of what's going to happen. Yeah, that's really interesting, Scott. Um, You know, I get a lot of calls from clients who want to be ESG and they don't like the two holdings that I have in energy, which are Marathon Petroleum and Kinder Morgan. I got to tell you, honestly, I'm not going to try that. I'm not going to try to say, hey, we can get into ExxonMobil and it's ESG, at least not yet. Um, It's just a bridge too far for the people who are against fossil fuels. Well, I mean, it wasn't a bridge too far for Jeffrey Maybe we get there, but we're... Right, it wasn't a bridge too far for Jeffrey Ubbin, who's now going on the board. Not a bridge too far for him. I, and I applaud him. He left I, Value I Act and started his, his, his ESG fund. Yeah, but let's not, I mean, come on, let's not say that ExxonMobil is anything other than a fossil fuel company. It isn't. It's oil and gas. And maybe 10 years from now, it will be. By the way, if 10 years from now it isn't something other than fossil fuel, it's going to cease to be. Because this is a demand 
issue. Um, and what Joe was saying about supply is interesting, but demand is far more important. This year, demand is going up, but over the next 10 years, demand for fossil fuels is going down, down, down. There's no question about it. You can look, by the way, ExxonMobil put up a 10-year chart, and you can see that from the high in 2014 of 100, it's a straight line negative to where we are today. <laughs> we were below that trend line last year. We'll go above it, but there's no question that that trend line in ExxonMobil's share price is going down over time unless they become something other than fossil fuels. Now, right now, well, Scott, not I want to start, make this clear. They're not right gonna, now is a good time to be in the trade. They're not going to selling soft pretzels, right? I mean, they're, they're an energy company, right? That, that's what they're going to do. Yeah, but, but if but they then, become but a more I can't clean, go to my clients and say... If they become a more clean energy company... I can't go to my company, clients right now. Yeah, I, I, that's, I, I can't do that. I can't go to any client or, or you or anyone on the show listening to it and say that ExxonMobil is anything other than oil and natural gas. I mean, I, I just, I can't. Um, I appreciate the try. It's a good direction in which to look. But ExxonMobil has a long, long road to go there. They're just taking one step and they've been forced into it. They've been forced into it. Uh, oil and natural gas is what they are right now, period. Okay. But... You know, you own Marathon Petroleum. You own Kinder Love Morgan. It. Love it. Yeah. I mean, how did, And what <laughs> is the question? <laughs> Those are really you know, super look, clean businesses, day, right? Those are super. Look I'll, at Joe. I'll Joe take, knows where I'm going with this. He, he knows. No, no, no. Listen, you're, he likes, you're being he likes accurate. Green. But here's the thing. At the end of the he day, Scott, at the end of the too. day, what is my job? Make my, money. I'm not. My cake is my cake is to buy low and sell high. To make money for and your marathon clients. Marathon and Petroleum and Kinder Morgan. That's what I'm doing. Okay? okay. Now clients may come to me, and some of them do, and they say, "I don't want fossil fuel energy companies." That's fine. I take it out of their portfolio. I'm not going to proselytize. I'm not going to sermonize. That's not my job. My job is to make money for my clients. You look at Marathon Petroleum and Kinder Morgan. They've been terrific. I mean, they they, have. taking them out of a portfolio has been terrible for portfolio returns, good for psychic value. I, I hear you, um, right? Investors come to me and they say which they want. Kinder Morgan's up 36% year to date. Marathon Petroleum's up 52. And just since we're keeping score here, uh, EOG is up 70. ExxonMobil's up 48. Pioneer, Joe, up 46. Valero, 48. Now, I totally get the fact that it's a tiny part of the S&P. And these stocks have been shunned and they were in the basement. So these gains, while great, are over a, a short period of time. You go back a year, we're coming through the pandemic. Obviously the stocks went down a lot, demand dried up. Now they've come back a lot. Range resources up 118%. Kerry, none of those gains sound good to you. You're in the gym camp of it's just, I can't sell it to my peeps, so I don't want any of it. Well, all of those returns sound great to me. I mean, fantastic. But if you have clientele that say they don't want any fossil fuels, you don't say, hey, sorry, uh, we're going to buy them anyway. Is that OK? Because the answer would be no. And the answer, in fact, is no for about $30 trillion of assets managed around the world. Now, I I'm not making a case that Joe and Steve or Jim shouldn't own these stocks because they're going up because the cycle has been so horrible for them. I have to make the case that the trend for 30 trillion, that's the, uh, that's the number of SRI funds in the world does not want to own fossil fuels. And that's part of why the long-term trend has been down and will probably continue to go down for these stocks. 
That's why they've gone from over 10% of the S&P to at the lowest 2%. Remember, when the price of oil was zero, zero, that was last April, everyone who was an expert said, oh my God, there's going to be so much surplus. No one's ever going to want fuel. This is the end. This is curtains. And now we're at 70. And by the time we're at 80 or maybe 90 and everyone says, you have to own oil, you have to own a big overweight in all these companies, that's about when the stocks will start to go down again. It's unpredictable. I, I was an oil analyst. That's one of the many energies, uh, one of the many sectors I covered years ago. So, you know, I think that if you can play it for a trade, as Steve said, you, it's really hard to invest in the long term. But we have to stick with our clients who don't want to own them, and therefore we don't, just pure and simple. All right. Councillor Terranova, I come back to you. Do you have a rebuttal? to anything that you've heard mm. and why Joel G on Twitter who tweets to me and says I got some booked profits to put to work so would love to hear some new ideas from the investment committee today exclamation point should Joe G take some of Joel G excuse me should he take some of those booked profits and put them in any of those energy company names that I mentioned or the one in addition that you did as well which I think was Suncor Yes, he should, because technology you own, energy you rent, and there's nothing wrong with for a trade. You began the show by asking, the move in energy, does it continue? Does it move higher? The answer unequivocally is yes. So I have no problem renting energy. I have no problem right now at this moment putting new capital into energy because the path in the near term is going to be higher. Define the near term for me. Like what? What near term are you talking about? Because Tom Lee, he says it's time to hold all energy stocks. Hold on for dear life is what Tom Lee said. Crude has broken to the upside. Next stop is 80. Energy sector has 40% plus upside. XLE resistance at 68 versus 54 the other day. If one is seeking either greater, either greater upside, even, excuse me, even greater upside, the OIH or oil field services sector has the most beta think the key level of OIH remains 374, and the OIH was only 223 yep. on Tuesday. Does that, that make sense with you? New 52-week high today, by the way, for the OIH, among other parts of the energy complex. To give you a trade within the OIH, I would think Schlumberger, to me, that would be the best position. I don't think you measure this in terms of time. You don't say, well, I'm going to stay here three months or six months. You measure it in terms of what Tom's doing, and that is price. I began by saying I see oil breaking out above 76.90. I think it goes towards $80. Uh, how fast it does that, I think that will determine what you're going to be doing with your positioning. Between 75 and 80, okay, you're going to begin to maybe lighten up on some of the positions that you either had existing or that you're taking here. Don't measure it by time, measure it by price, and the path is towards that price. So Farmer Jim, who owns Marathon and Kinder and hates energy and oil and gas and all that stuff, why don't you sell these stocks, Jim? They've had a nice run. Why are you still in them? Why are you still in them? I, 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 there's no snarkiness in my answer. The answer is because they're going up. Was and there I, snarkiness again, no in snark. my question? What's my job? <laughs> There was. No, but I there mean, I just, little. I don't, look, I, it's just such a, it's just such an obvious answer, though. They're going up. And, you know, Joe's exactly right. I, it, these are stocks that's that right unacceptable, now we're though. renting. And I, that's unacceptable that? that's an un unacceptable answer. That's an unacceptable answer. 
What do you mean? Because they're going up? Well, Exxon, <laughs> may, right? Exxon may continue to go up. I mean, a lot of the names on the list that I read you, I can go back through them if you, can, if you forgot how nice the gains have been. But maybe they're going to continue to go no, up, no, no. too. Let, 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 let's, get into, let's, get into the, let's get into the substance of what we're talking about. I didn't realize you were asking me why those specifically, so let me answer that question. Marathon Petroleum just closed the sale of Speedway. They've got $10 billion that they're using to buy back shares. Their market cap is $39 billion. Maybe it's $40 billion with today's price rise. So they're buying back 25% of their shares. That's why Marathon Petroleum. Kinder Morgan, the answer is they're sandbagging us on the dividend. The dividend should be $1.25. I forget what it is right now. It's either a dollar eight or a dollar ten. They're playing it conservative. That's absolutely fine. They're raking in cash. They're going to do something with that cash, either buy back shares, pay down debt, or increase the dividend. But either way, they're raking in cash and it's undervalued on a cash flow basis. That's why I own them. And I, so, I, you know, that's the detail to why they're going up. And they're going to continue to go up, so I'm holding them. Okay. Um, we'll get back to this in just a second. Uh, Christina Partinevelos has a market flash for us on a stock that's on the move right now. Yeah. Christina, since, tell us. Since you guys are talking about things on the move, Dropbox is climbing higher, and that's because news just came out from the Wall Street Journal that Elliott Management has taken a larger stake in Dropbox. Elliott Management, the activist hedge fund, means that it could potentially be the second largest shareholder for Dropbox after, of course, the CEO. Uh, the shareholder, this would mean that essentially Elliott Management would have about a 10% stake in the company, totaling it to about $800 million. Dropbox went public back in 2018. The market valuation, not too shabby. It's $11 billion. However, still not up to par where other cloud computing companies are. But you can see, look at that share price climbing just over 6.6% higher. Back to you. All right, Christina, thank you. Watching shares of Dropbox on the move. So Paul Singer added again, uh, a lot of activist activity in that cloud space. Remember, Box had its own little battle. And now Paul Singer and Elliott and Dropbox. Let's welcome, there's Dropbox shares. We'll keep an eye on those up six and two thirds percent. Let's welcome in our headliner now, Adam Parker, the founder of Trivariate Research, joins us once again. It's nice to see you, AP. Good to see you. You want to talk some sense into the people on this program today who don't like energy? Because it seems like you sure do. Yeah, I, I do. I To me, it's sort of the golden triangle of awesomeness. I have upward earnings revisions, compelling valuation, and I have a good fundamental story, right? Demand growth exceeds supply growth. So, you know, I know there's a, you know, an 85% correlation between the change in the oil price and the change in net income of the energy sector. I don't really think it matters which one you own. So you can like shareholder return and you can like uh, their portfolio positioning, but they're all going to go up uh, with a pretty high correlation as you listed through the stock. So, yeah, I, I like it. And I, I think that the fact that there's $30 trillion that doesn't like it means that those that aren't burdened by that uh, client demand and have the flexibility to, to buy it can and should. Uh, so that's a, that's a good opportunity. Um, you know, there's still 100 million barrels a day being consumed. I think the demise of it probably takes longer than other people think. So what I've learned so far in the 20 years of plus of doing equities is when demand growth exceeds supply growth, um, you're long. But what about the idea that, you know, Kerry's investors, for example, just don't want any part of it. And Farmer Jim, he can't he can't sell this stuff to, to anybody because sure. they don't want to want a part of it. Does that Look, hinder the yeah, future yeah. prospects for a space that even you think can can go higher? Sure. Look, I mean, allocate if you take money from an allocator and they want you to have a certain set of uh, restrictions and you have to follow those restrictions. And and, if, and for those of you who don't have those, then good. More for you. That's the way I look at it. There's still tons of upside. The stock 
The sector is very cheap on price to book versus history, which historically was the most effective metric for predicting subsequent return. I agree with the comment that it's not, uh, I think Joe's comment, you know, it's not time, it's, it's price. But I also think there's a distribution of outcomes. Obviously, we, we think very statistically at, at my firm and, and analytically, and our view is there's a, a bunch of outcomes, one of which is oil goes to 150, way more than just the 76 that it was on October 18. You're, you're pretty short uh, in, in terms of demand versus supply. So it, it, there's probability that various things happen. When you, when you look at that, there's tremendous upside to the energy sector. I also think that's generally true for metals and mining as well, which we're also bullish on. To me, you know, with sentiment where it is, with valuation where it is, with sort of the relative estimate achievability, meaning the certainty that the current earnings estimates are, are achievable, you know, I think that's a really good place to be in the market. Well, you're pushing energy. It's up 2%, so the highs of the day. Now, there is the ESG angle and the clients who don't want to touch it right. with a 10-foot pole. And then there is the point of view that was just tweeted to me that I want to read to you. Been too beaten up by my local Valero the last four years, despite analysts' recent calls to buy more. Love, Joe, and all on the show, but I can't do it anymore, right? It's the Steve Weiss perspective, right? I, I was in these stocks for a long time. I got my face ripped off. I don't need to go through the fact that energy was the worst performing sector in the market like four of the last five years, this year being the only time that it's ever done anything great. How do you counter that? I, just, I, I like Bill Belichick. I'm a Patriots fan. And he always will just say, what does the 2018 season have to do with the 2021 season? It's a different set of players, a different set of dynamics. And I, I feel it's the same thing here. Who cares if you lost money in the past? We're trying to make money now going forward the next six months. If you can find a sector in the market that you can deploy and make more money than this, then I, I agree with that. Do that. I think that's what Steve said. But for me, I've got a very high correlation between the change in oil price and the change in net income. I know the estimates are cheaper. I know there's going to be upward revisions. I know I have positive price momentum. And I still have pretty cheap stocks despite the rally. So, Again, that's that's three for three from the quantitative perspective. Uh, and, and I think hey, you want hey, to Scott, I, Scott I want can, I, can I just counter up. that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Weiss. So what I'd say is you don't have different players. You have players that have been the same players all along through every cycle. And ultimately, sure, while demand may be exceeding supply now, but they always add back the supply. Unless you're willing to put a stake in ground and saying that nobody from OPEC's ever gonna cheat, that we're not gonna reopen the spigots that were all closed here during the decimation of energy over the last few years, fine, I agree with you. But right now it's a trade because supply always overcomes demand. And sure you have that correlation, but that correlation works both ways as it always has. And I don't think a leopard would change its spots. So. I think yeah, you've got to I, I take the money and run at some point. Still momentum right now, though. I, I, I parse it two, two ways. One is the oil dynamics and demand supply there. And maybe that's dynamics are the same. I think the thing that could be different is the corporate behavior. This sector was run sort of literally and figuratively by cowboys who destroyed a lot of capital in the past. And I think there's more discipline there uh, this time. And you're seeing that in various parts of the chain. So I think the corporates themselves have improved. And I think that's where the players are different. Maybe the uh, demand supply dynamics ultimately be the same. And when everyone says it's transitory, I think that's the key investment debate, guys. It's, of course, it's cyclical and transitory. The question is, is it transitory for another 12 or 18 months or is it just three weeks? I'm in the in the former camp. I think it's going to last longer than people think. I want you to bear with me for, for one second. I mean, I, I can't help but but notice, and I, I know, Joe, you've noticed this too, um, AMC. Can we just throw those shares up, please? Uh, we're gonna, by the way, Pete Nigerian is going to be joining us on the phone uh, because he's involved uh, in, in trading this. And I want to hear directly from him as this so-called meme mania is back in a, in a big way. Sixty eight percent 
Joe Terranova right now for AMC. This is, of course, after the company raised equity uh, a day or so ago, and it's off to the races uh, again. This, this whole phenomenon is back. Yes, the phenomenon, and the phenomenon is about do it yourself. That is what is going on here. You do not short these stocks. I don't understand why people continue to do that. Scott, do you know that the short interest in AMC has gone up over the last week, not down? That's different than what we experienced in January with GameStop, when very quickly the short interest declined dramatically as price went up. This time's different. We're seeing short sellers actually leaning into this. I don't understand that. Well, they're not hey, feeling good. Hey, Joe, can I ask you a question? Good. Can I ask hey, hang you a on, question? Hang on, Jim. Hang on. My man, I promise. I'll, I'll get to you. I, Pete Najarian is on the phone now. We were trying to get him on. Uh, Pete, you have calls, new calls, I think, in, in AMC, right? Talk, talk to me about what, you, what you're doing, what you're seeing. 74% gain for AMC uh, as I look at my uh, fax set over here. 76%. Yeah. If we keep talking, it may just keep going to the moon. It, it could. Well, you know, tactically, I think what we're seeing here is that, that this whole phenomenon that started in January, and AMC, by the way, was a part of it in January. It wasn't just GameStop. The one difference was, and I heard Joe talking about the short interest, there was a huge discrepancy there, though, because with GameStop, you're talking about a couple of hundred percent of, of the short was in place. And this was about a 20 percent short. Yeah, it's moved up a little bit, so you can see that there is some players in there getting involved and trying to be active and, and maybe defending positions to some degree. I mean, that, that could be a possibility. I, I would agree with Joe, though. I don't know why you'd want to fight this when, you, when you've watched and witnessed what happened with GameStop. And we all watched the price that absolutely just skyrocketed at one point. We were well over $400 a share with that short squeeze. So there is an incredible short squeeze here now. Obviously, it started a couple of probably three or four sessions ago we traded over three million contracts last thursday and that was with the stock just making that you know compared to the moves that we are seeing the last couple of days that was a pretty minor move to the upside now we've seen this extraordinary moves to the upside hey. and the volumes continue to be there scott yeah. they continue to buy out of the money call i'll give you one last thing um because i'm going to come back to you with something i want to come back well let me oh. ask you this now let me ask you this now sure. for, forgive me for, for forgive me for jumping in you say no I, don't, I don't know why you would want to fight this thing um, mm -hmm. obviously, but mm -hmm. do you want to join this thing? I mean, look, I, you know, I don't know how our viewers are thinking about this, um, mm -hmm. who's involved and who's not, and what you're thinking about a stock that was up, you know, 20 some odd percent earlier and 40 percent when we got on the air, and now it's doubled from there and it's up 85 percent on the day. Do you, how, <laughs> I don't know what the <laughs> advice is, Pete. Well, I, I would give you one piece of advice. I think, I think the, the stock positioning is very, very dangerous, and, and people have to understand what exactly those risks are. I think the one thing that stands out for me, and I mentioned last Thursday traded three and a half million, almost 3.5 million contracts. We've traded nearly 2 million contracts yesterday in AMC as well. So the volumes have been there on the derivative side, Scott. And the, and the great thing, at least I think, in the derivatives world is, you can put on a position and know exactly how much money you can lose. And it's a little bit different when you're talking about the stock price because people can position in there and try to get themselves in there. And you're, you're, you're just mentioning, well, what do you do at this next level and this next level? Well, with the options, you can roll and, and take positions off and then put new positions on. And I'll tell you, the, the, the thing that I was going to say a, min, a minute ago was the extraordinary thing for me yesterday was the open interest 
of the 73 strike calls yesterday exploded. Now, those were folks that clearly were just taking a shot of some sort, but going all the way. And this is pre the move that we are seeing today. This was yesterday. So just enormous volumes going all the way out to the 73s that seemed ridiculous now doesn't seem quite as ridiculous as the stock has made the move that it has already today. So it's sorry. Sorry. It's halted right now for volatility. And, you know, I don't know what to make of it. You know, um, I feel like we're contributing to it by talking about it. But how can you not talk about something that's doing what AMC is doing? Adam Parker, it's up 93. We're going to call it percent right now as it gets halted again. We wrote a note last Wednesday. Yeah, we wrote a note last Wednesday on eight risks of the equity market. One of them was don't short heavily shorted stocks that are high beta. This fits right into that category. I think it's just imprudent risk management to be short a name like this. I think you want to focus on short side on stocks that have less than ten percent short interest, where you're anticipating a fundamental disparity. Um, you know that that's different than consensus view six months out. I think this. Sure, you can argue that it's way overvalued, but you can go insolvent before you're right, and, and the market's telling you that. So, look, I, I think it's just imprudent to short heavily shorted stocks. I'd stay out of the way, and, and uh, I, I certainly see why it gets squeezed higher, because th- those who went bang into it in the last week uh, are now realizing maybe that was premature or it's not trading on fundamentals. And why trade anything that's not trading on fundamentals? Oh, my God, don't even get me started with that. I mean, you want to really want to have that conversation? I mean... <laughs> You know, as everybody's crying about what the Fed has done and all of that nonsense and how much is Fed induced and how much is fundamentals. But when you see this, when you see this, what do you think about the market at large? You, you were going to come on today and, and your big headline was Adam Parker. I'm bullish. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish. Why, why wouldn't I be bullish? I have an accelerating economy, accelerating earnings, an accommodative Fed and a massive fiscal stimulus. Like, don't overcomplicate it. Of course, I'm bullish. Right. I, I, I think on. You know, in the individual securities, uh, you know, there's clearly dislocation. Generally, I think the trends I look at, the quantitative trends, show this would be a pretty good year for fundamentals mattering over time. Why? Correlation, pairwise correlation is down. Dispersion on board earnings is wide. Company-specific risk is mattering more. The number of stocks that are beating or lagging the market by 20% or more is higher than average. So the, the, the data support, it should be a pretty good stock picking market. But when you see something idiocratic, idiocratic like this, which, by the way, is perfectly rhyming where we were in the financial crisis in 2009 and 10, where heavily shorted stocks also failed. And that in that time it was because of a fiscal stimulus and, and a recovery. Here, it's obviously a, a little bit of a different point. But my view is why uh, go into stocks that you know aren't trading at fundamentals, you know haven't been, even if it's massively overvalued, I, I just don't see uh, the rationale for it. So, again, we, we were out uh, a month ago talking about this, and again last Wednesday saying one of the eight risks we see is an asymmetry around heavily shorted stocks, particularly those that are high beta, and this is a poster child. And, well, it's not the only one, by the way, and I know we keep singling out AMC in, in the way we talk about it. And by the way, it's like if you put up a correlation today between AMC and the S&P, you would see um, an inverse relationship. I mean, it's, it's like as much as AMC continues to go up, the S&P continues to, to come off of its, its highest levels. And it's not just AMC. Guys in the back, throw up Bed Bath nope. & Beyond. Throw up mm-hmm. Bed Bath & Beyond. Up 50%. So it's up 50%, up 50%, almost 51%. <laughs> you could throw up Best Buy, which was up a lot too. Pete, you're, you have calls in Best Buy too, which the most ironic thing I find about this whole thing, Pete, and I mean, mm-hmm. it defines you as a trader more than anything else, is repeatedly mm-hmm. coming on this show and saying, I don't want anything to do with those 
no mul- you said no multiple stocks, right? Stocks that right. are trading yep. at astronomical valuations. They've got no earnings. And, mm-hmm. and yet you're willing to go along for a short-term ride in the options market on a, on a, uh, a BlackBerry. Put up yep. BlackBerry as well, right? Because you've got, uh, you've got call options in BlackBerry, too. And Bed Bath & Beyond and that Be- were added today. Okay, here we go. So, and Bed Bath & Beyond. So I can give you an exact answer for that, Scott. Um, I've talked about those stocks, and we've talked about this on a couple of occasions, where I will not be in those stocks. I will not. You won't find me in these stocks. You will find me in the options, however, because the names that you just read off, they, they literally are the names that have extraordinarily uh, high amounts of, of short interest. Uh, I, Bed Bath & Beyond, I believe, is a little over 60-plus percent short interest afloat. So, um that is why the, the option market is the only place that I would be, and, and it gives me the opportunity to be a part of what is the trade. And you, I want to be where the trade is. When I used to stand on the trading floors back in Chicago, and you heard screaming on the other side of the building, you wanted to go over there and find out exactly what was going on and immediately get in there and start to trade it. So that's, that's sort of the mentality, I think, of what we're doing here. But I will not be owning the stocks because then you can really be caught holding the bag. I think with the options, I know exactly, Scott, when I pay a dollar for an option or $5 for an option, that's the most money I can lose. Right then I know exactly how much I can lose. So it gives me that flexibility, and and that's what I love so much about the derivatives market. So anything that's a no PE or a really high PE or a stock like what we're talking about now with these very high short interests, I will trade them. I'll trade well, it. I'll I mean, trade them like, all day long. It's, it's, you're going to kill me for saying this, Pete, but it's almost like, okay, in the, in the derivatives market, in the options market, the fundamentals don't matter. I mean, it's, uh, a, it's a long way of saying, you, know you know what I mean? And I don't mean to, I don't, I'm not trying to offend anybody who trades options, obviously, but it's like no. it's what you're saying. It's like the fundamentals mean nothing in, in the shortest of short-term markets. By the way, AMC has reopened. What was up 92% is now up 60%. Steve Weiss just texts me and says, I just bought and sold GameStop for a, for a $7 a share profit. Is that right, Steve? Yeah, that's right. I'll tell you exactly what I bought it at and sold it at. I like bought it at as you're listening to this conversation, right? As you're, as you're listening to the conversation. Yeah, because I, mean, be, be, because energy, I know that everybody on the Reddit... I won't, won't buy energy the, for the, the red, the we'll fight GameStop for five minutes. Hold, hold on, hold on, Adam. Well, that's not, that, Give me a second. All, that's I can't true, understand Adam. Steve. That, Go ahead, that's Steve. That's not true. That, that's not true, Adam. But look, I, I knew that while everybody was running on and talking about something that really should take 30 seconds because it's nonsensical, unanalyzable, that people be tuning into the show and that the Reddit people would be seeing AMC going and saying, what else can I do in this narrow universe? So it would be Bed Bath & Beyond and it would be GameStop. So it was easy to scalp a quick trade on it. So, so look, you know, these are unanalyzable. Let's, let's not pretend that they are. Price is what's moving it, and it's momentum, pure and simple. And it can work. It's not short covering. Don't delude yourself. The 10-day trading volume on, on uh, AMC is 425 million shares a day. The float's only 448 million shares a day. So it's completely nonsensical. Doesn't mean it won't work. I applaud those that have the guts to do it, but it's not going to end well, number one. Number two, it's just not investing. It's a distraction. It's a game. You can win at the game, but you can also lose. So I'll do it like this, but otherwise I'm not getting involved. All right. So thank you for extending the conversation. Thanks for all the words, Pete and Adam, for going on as long as you did. I made a nice profit.
Yeah. That's, that's good. I, Scott, I think it's worth asking why does this happen? The quantitative models that, that people use, they tend to want to short stocks that have high shorters because on average, historically, the shorters who did work were right. And so that signal tends to make them want to short more. Then also fundamental guys who do deep work may think a business is overvalued or have degrading fundamentals versus consensus. They all talk to each other and share ideas. So you do get this quantitative and fundamental group thing that causes it. I think the only thing you can analyze is what is the short interest level? What is the change in short interest? Is that a predictor of return? And is it prudent risk management to allow yourself that short, uh, heavily shorted high beta stocks? The answer for me on the risk management front is no, it is not. Hey, Pete, I, I just want yeah. you to, I want you to leave me with an, an answer to, to this question because I, I'm getting emails from people who, who, who say that all the whole thing is ridiculous, right? The mm -hmm. fact that, you know, we've got some people on the, on the program today who say this is insanity. Uh, this is not about fundamentals whatsoever. Uh, the whole thing's making a, a game and a joke of the, of the entire market. And then I've got somebody like you who's a short-term serious trader, yet who is playing the momentum of the very game others are ridiculing. Yeah, uh, well, I And this I will be the last comment, saying. too. This list will be the last sure. comment on this topic. Pete, go ahead. Sure, I totally understand what you're saying, what they're saying, but let's also remember this. Part of the fundamental story is, fundamentally, there is these massive shorts in these stocks, correct? So because of the fact that we've got that, that has created something. And let's remember this. This is a bit of a hybrid world that we are going into on the trading side because we have so many new participants and particularly participants that are part of this Reddit crowd that are jumping into the game. And they're going to be a part of it, I think, going forward. So because of that, that is the markets that we have. You don't get to pick the markets you have. You have to trade the markets you have. So we may all want something specific. You don't get what you want, but you have to trade what you've got. And that's exactly what we have to do each and every day. All right, I'll leave it there. Pete, thanks for calling in. Being a part of the discussion uh, really is everything. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. It was unfolding. It was great to have your insight. Adam Parker, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you as well for being here. Good you to see you. Well. All right. We've got the committee's latest buys coming up too. We'll do that when we come back. All right, let's go through some moves now. Farmer Jim, coming to you first. You bought more DIS. Disney, tell me why. Well, first off, I feel so boring because I'm not buying AMC or GameStop. But no, look, Disney is a multi-year investment here, and this is an investment. It's got a business model. It's got a plan, good management. You can project financials. This is going to be a multi-year hold. It's been consolidating. Um, you know I raised some cash from selling Orbcom a couple of weeks ago. This is where I'm deploying some of it. Okay, uh, interesting uh, ad there. Steve Weiss, you bought SoFi, the newly uh, public company. I did. Yes, I owned IPOE, and of course, yesterday it started trading as SoFi. Look, we all know Anthony Noda from the show, his background, he's brilliant, great CEO, bought a bank, so I think it's gonna be at least an excellent trade. However, the lockup comes and expires at the end of the month, so we'll see. I think there'll be a lot of stock to sell. So I'll just assess whether I want to be there long term 
or see what the game is. It's been a great game so far, so not complaining. Okay, let's go to Seema Modi now who has today's ETF Edge. Hi, Seema. Hey, Scott, good afternoon. June is upon us and a new fund has come to fruition just in time for Pride Month. Two weeks ago, LGBTQ Loyalty Holdings and Procure AM launched a new ETF, ticker symbol LGBT, on the NASDAQ. The fund is the first of its kind to incorporate survey data into its approach, identifying the top 100 U.S. companies that most align with the community's goals. So how does it exactly work and how does it fall into the red-hot trend of ESG investing? Let's ask the man behind the launch, Bob Toll, co-founder and president of Procure Holdings, also joining us, Tom Lydon, CEO of ETF. ETF uh, trends. And Tom, I'll start with you. Some of the top holdings here, Tesla, Apple, and Marriott. There's some great holdings. It's, they've done a great job. And, and, and Seema, before we cut to the chase, Loyalty Holdings, the LGBTQ group, has some real powerhouses behind them. Uh, Senator, uh, Congressman Barney Frank, for example, Martina Navratilova, Billy Bean. Uh, they are a powerhouse that are really going to put some emphasis behind the values behind LGBTQ. And I think we're going to really see some traction in this ETF for sure. And Bob, the intersection of social governance, gender equality, and matching that with investing. Uh, talk to us about your approach. Yeah, the approach is simple. When you We used a preference index, which really takes into consideration the feedback from the community. We, we introduced the ESG overlays from the UN and to the extent that you have a index that reflects values and ESG simultaneously, it's important I think that uh, this ETF in essence has found its way into the marketplace. Yeah, and clearly there's a lot of demand for these type of products in the market. Bob and Tom, thank you so much for joining us. B2B selling is tougher than ever and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Stay tuned for more ETF Edge. We'll dive deeper into the new fund, the sky-high surge in commodity prices, and why gold is sitting the rally out this year. That's online. Halftime is back in two minutes. All right, question and answer time. First up, Steve Weiss, a video question for you. Hi, this is Craig Hill, originally from the UK, now living in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I'm asking Steve if he is still looking to buy F5 Networks. He bought it a couple of weeks ago. It looks like it's taken a dive since then. So now I need to know, is it going to continue to dive or is it going to come back alive? So tell me, is it a buy or a sell? Thank you. All right. What's the answer? So first of all, congratulations on picking up that southern accent in Atlanta, um, much better than the UK. Here's what I'd say. It's a wait and see right now. Goldman came out and downgraded it to sell. They're the only ones that have a sell on it. I like the stock. I got out of it a while ago, but it's in a perfect spot. 
Earnings have been lumpy in terms of how management guides, but down here it's actually looking good as you turn it over to the next year when it's pretty cheap, about 16 times. So I'd wait for this quarter, see what they have to say, and then make your decision. Okay, thank you. Joey T, now video question for you. Hello, Judge. Thank you for the show. This is Dr. Satish Mittal from London. Can one of your panels please advise what I could buy to increase my exposure to energy, finance, and material? I invest 70% in US and 10% of my portfolio is Berkshire Hathaway BCS. Thank you. All right, Dr. Satish, thank you very much for that question and the comments too. Joe Terranova, what's the advice? Okay, so Dr. Satish, you already have significant exposure in financials with Berkshire Hathaway. We covered energy. The area I want you to focus on is materials. I'll give you two names, Freeport Mac Moran. The usage of copper in electric vehicles has never been stronger. And Mosaic, that's an agriculture play. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Well, managing the volatility, that is a topic I am going to sit down with Carrie Firestone. There she is. We're going to do that today on CNBC Pro Talks. We're going to lay out a playbook for our pro subscribers on how to manage the recent ups and downs in the market. Carrie is also going to be answering questions directly from subscribers. And you can still register. If you're a pro subscriber, you can join pro right now. CNBC.com slash pro or within the CNBC app. That's today at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. I was going to go to you there, Carrie. I want you to save your energy, save all your answers, <laughs> all your best material for our pro subscribers coming up today with me at 1.30. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll look at some of the stocks hitting new 52-week highs. President Biden announcing new steps from his administration to combat racial inequality, focused on expanding access to home and small business ownership. That news coming at a ceremony in Oklahoma to mark the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre yesterday. That push coming as big, bank, big banks work to increase black representation in their employee base and management. Our Frank Holland joining us now from Tulsa with more. Hi, Frank. Hey there, Scott. Well, black people only make up about 3% of the C-suite in financial companies nationally, according to the latest data. But when we're talking about big banks, collectively known as Wall Street, well, they are working to become more diverse overall. JP Morgan, the biggest by market cap, with 13% black employees overall and 5% in senior management roles. Wells Fargo, reporting the highest level of senior managers, following a controversy over the CEO saying there is a limited pool of black talent. We spoke exclusively with the chief human resource officer of Morgan Stanley, Mendel Crawley. He says Wall Street can do more to retain black professionals. We've got to be a heck of a lot more deliberate in retaining that talent. And in my personal view, uh, there's no more uh, important lever in retaining uh, talent than by giving them opportunities to grow and to stretch. And we're talking about opportunities to grow. We look at private equity, black people making up about one to two percent of managing directors and venture capital firms. Only three percent of partners are black people. Crawley says another obstacle for black advancement can often be culture. I also think that there is this cultural piece in ensuring that when folks come to work at firms like mine, they actually feel like it is their firm uh, and that they can thrive and that they can bring their full selves uh, to the firm, because when that happens, again, speaking in the context of black folks, 
um, you know, this thing called black magic can really uh, take root. And in the last year, major banks have set targets to increase their black representation, something that we'll continue to watch here on CNBC. Back over to you, Scott. All right, Frank, we appreciate it. Frank Holland, thank you very much. Final trades after this quick break. All right, let's do final trades. Carrie Firestone, you're first. Westinghouse Airbrake, WAB, it's a company that's an industrial, very strong position in both railroad cars and urban urban transit vehicles, both of which will be on the rise as people come back to work and more railroad car volume. Infrastructure also will be a great help for WAPTEC. Thanks. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Farmer Jim. Thermo Fisher deal with Moderna is a catalyst for going higher. Okay. Steve Weiss. Yeah, Jim, get out of park, go into drive, sell you GM, buy Volkswagen or Porsche. Oh, he says no way. Joe T. Monster Beverage, pushing towards 100. All right. Thanks for joining, everybody. Carrie, I'll see you in just a few on CNBC Pro. That does it for us. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.